Hey, Scott Walker here on our new podcast called Freedom Fighters. Thanks for everybody tuning in who's listening before, and thanks to anybody new uh, for joining us. Uh, Freedom Fighters, how appropriate, because I'm pleased uh, to be taking on a new role uh, after eight years as governor and four elections and a whole lot of other battles. Uh, it's a tremendous honor for me to be stepping up as uh, the incoming president of Young America's Foundation. Uh, and that's really what YAF does, is we train the next generation of America's freedom fighters. But today, I want to talk about, well, a couple different ideas. Uh, we had our, our, this weekend, we're having our, our first significant uh, gathering of students, about 250 students falling within the guidelines in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've, we've actually had a gathering a few weeks back uh, at a YAF day camp, uh, just a day activity, not overnight, for students out at the Reagan Ranch in Santa Barbara and the Reagan Ranch Center in Santa Barbara. Uh, before that, late in September, uh, two gatherings of, of just under 50 students uh, in Reston, Virginia, talking about uh, the uh, the road to freedom and faith and freedom. Uh, but it was great today to have, well, kicking things off, to have our great friend and, uh, and tremendous advocate for freedom, a hero of the conservative movement, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, who did a fabulous job uh, to hear from people like Burgess Owens, who, if things work out right, he seems to be on the path to be the next member of Congress uh, from the state of Utah, and a longtime YAF speaker. Just thrilled to have him spend time talking to students and meeting with students, uh, people like Babe Buchanan and so many other great folks. Uh, but uh, I'm going to share comments this weekend as well. And I, I want to give you just a little bit of a synopsis of that. I'm not going to give the whole comments on this podcast, but it really fits down to this. I, I think as we look ahead, we need to be focused uh, as Americans first, but particularly as conservatives, on the idea of persistence, not resistance. We need to persist, not resist. What, what I mean by this, we need to be on offense, not on defense. When I hear people talking about resist, that implies that you're out of power, that you don't, you're not charged of things, you're just resisting things. And we, in many regards, no matter what happens with the final outcome, of the presidential election, we still are in a position to persist, uh, not only in Washington, but particularly in state houses uh, all across America. But let me spend a minute just telling you, uh, before we get into the what we need to do uh, to persist in, in pushing forward and defending the freedoms we hold so dear, I want to spend just a moment telling you why. I want to tell you why. Uh, in, in the Bible, I always said in the book of Nehemiah, it was important for Nehemiah to understand why the walls came down in the first place before God could tell him what he needed to do to fix things. And that's exactly what we need to do here. And this is why. So unlike so many of the Hollywood liberals and other elites out there, I have no intention of leaving uh, this country based upon the results of the presidential election. I, I just don't. And I want to be clear. It's because I understand I was born with privilege. Let me say that again. I was born with privilege. No, it wasn't based on my race. It wasn't even based on where my ancestors were born. Instead, it was based on where my ancestors decided to come to. See, my great-great-grandfather, Thomas Llewellyn, uh, the son of a miner from South Central Wales, years and years and years and years and years ago, decided to risk it all and come to Philadelphia to work as a blacksmith. They had five children and eventually moved to the Midwest and had four more on top of that. It was because of people like him in my life or, or thinking about my parents, or excuse me, my, my wife's grandparents, uh, Tonette's family, Slovakian and Italian, on the Italian side of things, her 
Her grandparents came from uh, Sicily, one from Messina, the other from Porticello. They were Tarantinos. They made their way across the ocean, came through Ellis Island, came with enough money not to be wards of the state. They had a sponsor and a job, whether it was Thomas Llewellyn or the Tarantinos. Why did they each come? They came to America because of freedom and opportunity, the kind of freedom and opportunity that wasn't available anywhere else in the world. Their American dream wasn't just about their own success. It was ultimately about ensuring that for their children and their children's children and generations to come. And thank God for that. Now, these stories are not unique to my family or my wife's family, but they are uniquely American stories. You see, America is the place where whether you came five generations ago or just five days ago, America is the place where it doesn't matter what your parents did for a living. It doesn't matter what you look like or, or, or what your income level is. In America, the opportunity to do great and amazing things is available to anyone. All people here are created equal. We have equal opportunity, but the outcome, the outcome is up to each and every one of us. To me, that's the why. It's protecting those freedoms, protecting those opportunities, protecting that for every single person who lives here today and those who aspire, aspire to come to, as Reagan called it, the shining city on the hill. So let me spend a couple minutes telling you, and now that we talked about the why, the what. Uh, the what when it comes to why we must persist, uh, when it comes to elections, when it comes to order, and when it comes to culture. Certainly when it comes to the elections, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's absolutely reasonable for the President of the United States and his team to continue to persist uh, when it comes to the election results, particularly in states uh, like Pennsylvania. One of the great moves uh, done was the order by Justice uh, Alito, who ordered that the ballots who, that came in after Election Day have to be set aside. They have to be segregated. The reason for that's simple. The Supreme Court initially ruled, in fact, two different ways. In Wisconsin, they actually ruled with the state law because a federal judge tried to push the date past the election, the date upon which ballots could be received. And the ruling, the majority at that point in the U.S. Supreme Court said no. State law, state legislatures, state law is what determines elections, not federal judges. In the case of Pennsylvania, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I think they got it wrong. A statement all too frequently I make about Chief Justice Roberts who sided with the more liberal members of the court in this decision, they said, well, because the states, uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's Supreme Court ruled on this, it's somehow, uh, th that's the same as having the State Legislature Act, and therefore uh, it should be upheld because the, uh, the federal government shouldn't overrule a state entity. Well, the reason why Alito setting aside segregating those ballots it's because if they can come back and make a more compelling case to the court, which I believe they can, particularly with the addition of Justice Barrett, that in the end, the Constitution is very clear when it comes to the electors and how the process is set. It's by the state legislature, not by the state Supreme Court, not even by the governor. It is by the legislature. And therefore, I, I think they should persist, even if the final outcome of this presidential and vice presidential election remains uh, as it appears to be right now, uh, in favor of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I think for the tens of millions of people who voted for the president, particularly those first-time voters or people who were first-time voting for a conservative slate, a conservative ticket, we owe it 
to those people to make sure the process is, is seen through to the very end, to make sure that every legally cast ballot is counted, no more, no less. When you look at other ways of persisting, certainly there'll be a lot of talk, and uh, YAF is not a, a political entity. We're a C3, so I'm not advocating for campaigns. I can do that personally, and, and, and it's more of an observation. But I think it is clear what's going on in the state of Georgia when it comes to the United States Senate. There's a clear, uh, there's a clear boundary there. there. There's a clear red line between uh, whether or not you have Republicans in charge uh, of the United States Senate or Democrats. No matter what Joe Manchin says, and let's be clear, Joe Manchin is only a moderate when it doesn't count. Every time he's been pushed, any time his vote would matter, he f- folds up like you know, like a cheap deck. Uh, this is a guy who talks big, but when the chips are down, doesn't get the job done. So no one in the state of Georgia or anywhere else across the country should think for one minute that if Democrats take the majority in the United States Senate, obviously they'll have majority, although a slimmer one at that, in the House of Representatives. And if they have a Democrat president, in this case, particularly a Democrat vice president, uh, they will ultimately move forward their plans. They've laid it out clear as day to end the filibuster, uh, which will lead to efforts to then pack the Supreme Court. And by packing, we're not talking about adding people who share their beliefs. We're talking about literally adding seats beyond the current nine on the U.S. Supreme Court. Even Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, don't need any more than nine. It's been around for a, a century and a half. There's no reason to change it. Nobody else has legitimately talked about changing it, but they've made it clear they will add seats to radicalize the U.S. Supreme Court and then Katie bar the door. You're not just talking about the Green New Deal and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands, arguably, of job loss and major increases uh, when it comes to energy costs. You're talking about religious liberties. You're talking about uh, taxpayer paid for abortion. There's just all sorts of issues that come up when that's done. So the race, the race in Georgia is not just about whether Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell's majority leader. It's far greater than that. It is fundamentally about the balance of power in the federal government, uh, probably uh, more than just years, but for for decades, if not generations to come. In addition, the House is still controlled by Democrats, but it's still debatable right now whether or not Nancy Pelosi continues to be the speaker. The day of, she was talking about adding to the majority. Days later, she was talking about how nobody expected that. Well, she, of course, said that. That's because it was a shock. The media and the pollsters all told us it was going to be this massive blue wave, this massive blue wave. And not only did House Republicans pick up seats, but probably the most undertold story of this election is the fact that Republicans retained the majority that they held in every single state legislature across this country and actually added to it. They added the New Hampshire House, New Hampshire Senate, and the, New, and the uh, Alaska State House. In addition... For the first time in 16 years, uh, they elected a Republican governor in the state of Montana, a state that now has the trifecta. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, one, as someone who firmly believes uh, that the Constitution spells out uh, that uh, uh, most of the duties and responsibility of government should be inherently in the hands of the states and of the people, putting more power into reasonable hands of, uh, or the hands of reasonable people at the state level is a good thing. Um, but it also has an impact on redistricting, which will have a direct impact 
uh, over the next eight years on who controls the U.S. House of Representatives. All those things are part of this persistence, not just resistance. Secondly, I also think there's a bit of focus on order, not just law and order, although it ties into this. You know, when the Black Lives Matter movement started out, the, the concept of standing up and speaking out about the atrocity that happened with George Floyd totally makes sense. But it amazes me that the media's largely ignored that there's not a political figure, at least to my knowledge, uh, elected official or major political figure in America on either end of the spectrum that didn't clearly denounce what happened uh, in the city of Minneapolis. Uh, and who hasn't clearly spoken out to say that if there are problems uh, with a very limited number of individuals who may uh, be in law enforcement who aren't following the laws, aren't following the rules, then yes, they need to be weeded out. In fact, what I did with Act 10, labor law reform that allowed school districts to get rid of uh, teachers that weren't good teachers should be applied to law enforcement and other entities as well. But that's not the issue here. You see, BLM really wasn't about race. It's more about anarchy and riots. The, the three main organizers have repeatedly said publicly they're Marxist. They are trained Marxists. That's what this is all about. And, and you can actually believe that what happened to George Floyd is wrong and still at the same time not buy into the organization, not the concept, but the organization of Black Lives Matter. I saw it firsthand in my state of, of Wisconsin first earlier in the summer in Madison, where they tore down the statue of a, of, a, of, of a hero that actually fought and died on the battlefield fighting the Confederacy. Or, or weeks later, when they burned to the ground major portions of the city of Kenosha. This is about anarchy. This is about chaos. This is about riots. Uh, it's not about real reform. If it was about real reform, then Senate Democrats would have been working with Tim Scott to pass the, the Justice Act that he acted on. It's why you see the exposure of those who aren't just talking about reforming the police, but about defending it or defunding it. What we need to be doing is talking about how do we defend the police. And I think one of the larger issues missing in all this is the fact that, that we need to defend not just law enforcement, but we need to defend and return to the Judeo-Christian values uh, that this country was based on, that was built on, and that that actually ties in not just to religion, but it ties into order in our society. Part of the reason why we've been a successful republic uh, for nearly now two and a half centuries is because in the end, moral people, moral people don't need a police state to, to dictate the rules to them and the laws. Moral people will uphold just laws in a just society. The more we get away from people having the morals that come from those people being people of faith, uh, the less likely it is for people to uphold the law, which is dangerous and something we need to adhere to going forward. Finally, the most important thing is about we must persist when it comes to culture. That is fundamentally why I'm so honored and pleased to be working with the exceptional team at YAF. You see, on our colleges and campuses all across the country, we are under direct assault not only on our ideas, but even the ability to talk about those ideas, to have the, the fundamentals of free speech. Free speech is guaranteed in our Constitution, and yet in today's society, the most endangered place to be uh, on campus is a conservative speaking out. Free speech is most endangered in our college campuses. 
both of my kids just recently in the in the past few years, Alex graduated four years ago from a public institution, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, which is arguably increasingly to the left of even Berkeley. Uh, my other son went to a, a Catholic Jesuit Christian institution, Marquette University, but even there, they have challenges in terms of staff and ideas and other things uh, that, that aren't fully being able to be engaged on. This is the real battle for the future. This is where now more than ever, we have to persist. We have to persist. Uh, it's why when it comes not just to YAF, but to any other group that wants to align with us, college Republicans, Students for Life, Leadership Institute, you name it. To me, we should be bonding and working together to make sure there's a conservative chapter and a conservative voice on every campus and every college and university across America. And not just for four-year undergraduates, uh, for graduate schools, for, for people gigging, uh, seeking out associate degrees. We need to be not only in our high schools, but, but even in junior high, reaching out to preteens, getting this message sooner. Because the other side starting, heck, in some cases, even before they get into school with the videos and, and other things they're exposed to through the mass media out there. We need to speak out and stand up for free speech, not just for our own organization, but for any voice, center uh, to right going forward that wants to speak out on our college campuses. We need more speakers and more programs and more opportunities. And we also need the help from our state leaders. I mentioned before that all the Republican majorities across the country were maintained in this past election. In fact, in some states, they were added to. We need state leaders, governors and state lawmakers to stand up and help in this cause as well. In Wisconsin, we understood it was more than just saying you're for free speech. We worked with our lawmakers and with our regents to put some teeth in free speech measures to say that if people who continuously interfere with the free speech rights of others on campus could ultimately be expelled. Just saying your free speech doesn't mean anything if there aren't consequences for continued efforts to stop and thwart that free speech. We need to make sure that, that money that goes into our college and campuses actually provides for real diversity, not just ethnic uh, uh, ethnicity or race, but how about political and religious diversity? Um, on most college campuses, <laughs> there is no diversity when it comes to political or ideological thought out there. There's one stop position on everything. And anybody else is not just given grief by the professors, the left-wing radical professors, but by the activists on campus. We've consistently found in surveys through YAF that college students feel threatened not only by their professors, but by even speaking out with their fellow students. We've got to push back on this. And our state lawmakers and our state leaders can actually help in that cause by protecting free speech, by stopping st forced student funding fees that go to radical organizations that completely are at odds with the values we have historically held in each of our respective states and as a nation. All these are things we've got to work on in the future. We're going to talk more about it. We're going to give you opportunities to engage and help us persist in the fight of freedom. Those are the what's we're talking about. In the end, I just want to end with this, the why. I talked about my ancestors, and one of the, the greatest things I loved about listening in to both of the political conventions uh, in August of this year was more than the speeches. The moment I enjoyed the most came on a Tuesday night in the second week of the convention. It's when they came live to the White House, and we saw five of now our new fellow Americans raising their right hand, and taking the oath of citizenship. 
it was a vivid reminder, not just for those five, but the fact of the matter is when it comes to legal immigration, there are more than a million people a year who come to these United States of America. In fact, no other nation in the world comes even close. The next closest nation, the next closest nation has four times fewer foreign-born citizens than these United States. Why is that? Well, despite our challenges, despite the, the difficulties we have as a nation, despite the imperfect leaders that we've had in the past, have today, and will have in the future, the fact of the matter is there's no greater place in the world to come to if you want freedom and opportunity. The rest of the world understands that. Why can't our college campuses, our universities, and the abundance of woke graduate students living off their parents' trust funds understand that as well? Ronald Reagan said it best years ago when he said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extension. We don't get it passed on to us through the bloodstream. No, instead, we have to stand up and fight for it and defend it and protect it and then hand it off to the next generation to do the same thing all over again. That's why it's important to persist in this fight for freedom going forward. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for tuning in.